Hey everybody, welcome to a really interesting and educational and fun episode of Back to School with Maj Brani. Today we have Nicole Behnam. She's a friend of mine. She's a friend of Tehran's and she's an expert on NFTs. She's here today to, first of all, explain and teach us about NFTs, what they are, how you can get involved, how you can make money in them. Secondly, she's going to tell us about Clubhouse, where she was a superstar, the rise and the fall of Clubhouse. And lastly, she's going to tell us how if you had bought a Bored Ape NFT for $200, just like almost a year ago, it would have been worth a million now. You missed out that and more right now on Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani Maz. Oh, Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani. Mazzy, Mazzy. Oh, Maz, 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 Maz. Hey. I got a podcast. Oh, Back to School. Hey guys, welcome and thank you for listening. I'm Maz Jobrani. This is my co-host Tehran. How are you, Tehran? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so glad we have, this is one of my favorite people on the planet on the show today. Guys, first of all, I want you to listen to this episode, then I want you to follow this young lady, at Nicole Behnam. She's on Twitter, N-I-C-O-L-E-B-E-H-N-A-M. She's amazing. She's very positive. She's very curious about the world. I got to know her through Tehran, through Clubhouse. And also, I want you guys to tell your friends about this show, all right? We're getting ready to take this show to the next level. Let your friends know. Go wherever you listen to it. Give us a great rating. Because I'm telling you, this is an episode you want to exercise to run to you want to fall asleep to and then wake up to you're going to learn stuff and you're going to get involved because what we learned from nicole on nfts non-fungible tokens tehran have you been involved in this world of nfts you know honestly i one of my you know you have these uh regrets you wish you had bought google stock when it was a hundred dollars or whatever all these regrets I should have been more involved. I was in Clubhouse because of Nicole, because of people like Nicole and Leah specifically. And they went on this journey. And I was lazy. I didn't go on the journey with them. And I could have done amazing. Nicole has made millions of dollars, I feel like, just being involved in these different communities that were online ahead of their time, NFTs, uh, crypto online discussions and things of that nature and i wish i had done more i wish i had done more but i will step back people that people are listening to this and going to listen to this episode i will step back but I, I will say if you decide to go into the nft world or in the crypto world or whatever that world is really really make sure you're 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 intrigued by it make sure it's something you're curious about not just like oh i can put a little money make a little money because then you're going to lose your money but if you're really into it, like someone like Nicole, you're going to see she knows she's been there. She interviews people about it. She goes to events about it. There's money to be made, but there's art to be made. There's things to be appreciated. And she talks about one word that's very important. There's community. You want to be someone who's into the community. You, we see this all the time. People that are into Harley Davidson's, they join a Harley bike, whatever, uh, uh, club, or there's the you know, car people, or there's the comic book. It's community, and that's what's important. And I want you guys to listen to this. And if you feel like you're part of this community, join this community. If you feel like you're part of another community, yoga community, whatever, that, join that community. Find like-minded people that make you feel good and make you feel positive. I want you to listen to this. I want you to share this. I want you to be a part of the Back to School with Majibrani community. What do you think of that? So with that said, Tehran, where do people find you? I am Tehran all across the board. And also hit me up at Maz Jobrani across the board, 
at I am Tehran across the board. Without further ado, let's go talk to Nicole Behnam on Back to School with Majabrani. Back to School. Nicole Behnam, thank you for being on Back to School with Maz Jobrani. How are you? I'm good. I'm so pumped to do this with both you and Tehran. I can't even tell you. This is the first time you're not great. This was just good. What's going on? What's wrong, <laughs> Nicole? Usually Nicole's like, I'm great. She goes no. in with a positive mindset to everything. Tehran, anybody who's watching this knows Nicole is great, all right? Yeah. They don't oh, need to, she doesn't need to say it. Just look at her. You look great. You, you, you're radiant. You're drinking tea. I appreciate you bringing tea to a Persian party. I can't go without chai. I love it. And by the way, Nicole, I'm excited to be hosting you on a show where both Tehran and I notice, say, your last name is Behnam and not Benam. Benam. Hi, Nicole. Oh my Benam. God. Every time, every time a white person asks me, I'm like, it's just Benam. Yeah. You can't pronounce it. So what? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Bend it like Benam. Um, all right, so with that said, let's get Dara's question. I told him that, you, that you're an expert in NFTs, and uh, here's his first question to Nicole Benham. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, Ms. Benham. I have a question for you. When do you think NFTs will finally fizzle out? Okay, that's a good question. I don't think they're going to fizzle out. I just think they're going to have different use cases. Um, like right now, collectibles are really popular. You see like, you know, the Cool Cats collection, the Board Ape Yacht Club, World of Women. The, the blue chips will still stay. A lot, of, a lot of collectibles are being released. But I think we're going to see a moment where NFTs um, are going to be used mostly for utility. Meaning like, you know, you buy this NFT, you get access to like these parties discounts at these stores i'm talking to a lot of companies that are figuring ways figure out figuring out ways to integrate nfts you know into their structures so i mean coachella released nfts uh i'm working with a company called after party that they do they're doing a music festival and if you have their nft you can go to vegas and go to their music festival so we're gonna see stuff like that i don't really think it's gonna fizzle out Maybe I'm wrong. That's my prediction. So I love that you're saying this because whenever I talk to people, I'm I'm I know very I know a little bit about NFTs, and simply because of obviously online Clubhouse for a while. Clubhouse went from a place to talk to friends to basically a place to get NFT and relationship advice, and you saw that because you were there from the beginning of clubhouse so we're going to hit on all this stuff but before we go any further just take a minute if you were in an elevator you had a minute to explain to somebody what nfts are and how they work give us the minute pitch on what it is okay so nft stands for non-fungible token and uh fungible means able to be replaced or exchanged so like a quarter is fungible you know, every quarter is the same, but NFTs, you know, these artworks are all very different. So it cannot be replaced, can't be replicated. Um, and then uh, it, it's built on the Ethereum blockchain where it can, it can show who bought it, when it was created, what it was worth at the time, what it's worth now. So basically we've been uploading all of this information, everything we've been uploading to the internet doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the service providers. Now we actually have ownership and it shows that. So, so if I bought an NFT at a certain time and the floor price, meaning 
you know, the, the minimum price of it goes up because of the demand, then I can sell it for more and it belongs to me, not the person who created it. You know what I mean? So that's, that's my one minute. Patreon. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the person who created it also gets a, a slight commission every time it sells, correct? Yeah, that's very important. So, uh, so baked into the smart contract is a royalty system that actually pays the creator, the artist, the musician, we're going to see music NFTs come in. It pays them every single time that it's sold. So like, you know, usually an artist, they, they see the first person who buys their artwork. They don't see anything beyond that. You know what I mean? So, so now it shows on the blockchain who owns it. You can trace it back to somebody's wallet. And that's a, that's a really good point. So in a way, it's kind of like, art in the modern world. Whereas like you got, we all know, like they'll be like, yeah, that Picasso sold for $20 million, but Picasso died broke or whoever it was, you know, uh, you know, fill in yeah. the blank, you know, Van Gogh died broke without an ear, you know, but his art sold for 50 million. With the NFTs, that artist, which I think this is a great thing, is a very important point. The artist continues to make money every time it's resold. So at least they're getting a little bit more as their value of their art goes up, right? Exactly. And and that's why it's like, it's not a threat if it's shared. Like if somebody takes a screenshot of it, that doesn't mean you own the actual thing. It's like someone taking a photo of the Mona Lisa or maybe a better example for the Persians is a Chanel bag, a fake Chanel bag. <laughs> it's not, you know, you need the certificate. That's what the blockchain does. It provides a digital certificate of ownership. And I love the fact that with the NFT, so again, we, so for example, let's say I were to say, I'm going to do this piece, whatever it is, some art piece, Tehran's got all that art behind him. Let's say Tehran takes one of those, digitizes it and says, I'm going to make five only. There's only five that I'm putting out. And then people jump in and Tehran says, whatever, I'm going to sell it for a thousand dollars. Bidding goes up, sells for $5,000. As you said, it's been stamped. So the official Tehran digital art has the stamp and then the person who buys it by the way can still print it and put a painting on his wall but that's not what the value is the value is the the one that's on his digital wallet correct correct you know what's so interesting people actually do not just print out their nfts but a lot of people and you're going to see this more and more are buying huge screens to put their nfts on display in their homes their galleries you know, uh, their offices. It's really interesting what I've been seeing. People are really, really pumped about this. Listen, I'm all about, I, and I love the fact that you just explained the next level, which is because, again, I've had people in my ears going, hey, you're a comedian, you're a touring comedian, you have fans, you should come up with something. And then I talked to some people who said, you, if you're going to come up with something, it's got to be authentic to you, right? Because it can't be just, it's not, it can't be a money grab, which, which maybe you can tell us about some failed money grabs that have happened famously the melania trump one where she tried to put her picture of her hat on <laughs> on nft and then she ended up buying it back herself um is that what happened i didn't even look into that one. Oh yeah she she put she put something on where it was like here's a picture of me with my hat or maybe it was actually whatever it was it was something had to do with one of her hats and she set it up and she said with some of it going to charity some of it going to charity really you're billionaires and you want some of it going to charity yeah, yeah. and they didn't say how much, and and so basically they went online, and I guess nobody bought it, so they bought it back. Um, 
But I like what you said. And again, for people listening who go, because a lot of people poo-poo NFTs. Why would I buy why would I buy a digital thing when I could just take the picture? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. First of all, you're getting the original. Secondly, I love what you said about these experiences. And this is where I think I, as a comedian, can see myself getting into it. Because Tehran knows when we do tours, we set up VIP packages for people to come backstage, do a meet and greet. So if I could include something like that and make it part of the experience to say, yes, you buy this NFT, you're going to not only get this art that I helped create, but you're also going to get lifetime tickets to all of my shows, four tickets to any show backstage, whatever. I then feel, I feel good about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the other thing is you can also include like, let's say you do a five, 10,000 PFP collection is the, you know, the most traditional. What's PFP? I'm sorry. What's PFP? Profile picture. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, let's say you do a, a five or ten thousand uh, avatar collection, and you have an artist do all these art pieces, and it's the Maz and Tehran collection. Hmm. Okay, and you say we're gonna do uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a mint date. Here's how you get on the allow list. Okay, so people like rush to get on the allow list because they. And I'm sorry, when you say ten thousand, you're saying people release ten thousand of them at once. Oh yeah, because then then it's identifiable. We all know what bored apes look like. It's become a status symbol. That's another thing. That's why I see Persians will pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) I think Persians will pick it up if 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 a few of the if a few of the the families and key players pick it up. I really do see Persians starting to get into NFTs heavily but let's say you release a collection that belongs to you guys you partner with an artist they get a percentage of the sales um and and then you say hey there's a couple of these that have very rare traits if you get those you get to come backstage in any city that we do comedy in and so people people might like they want to mint more or they'll buy on secondary, they'll buy the one with the rare traits, they'll pay extra. And what happens is, let's say you build a really strong community around it because the community is really what what makes the floor price go up. If people are really excited about it, the way they were for Bored Apes, if they keep talking about it, if they keep doing Twitter spaces, the value of it goes up, more and more people want it. So then your fans are rewarded. So for example, let's say the floor price started at around like 0.2 Ethereum. Okay. And then the floor price goes to like one a year later, one Ethereum. Your fan is able to sell that NFT. And then they just made 0.8 ETH, which is right now is like a, around $2,000, a little over $2,000. So they get rewarded just by being your fan. And that's, so, that's very exciting. So that's, it's also interesting to me. So um, tell us the story of this board apes. Like I'm just like so people that are listening can know kind of the actual dollar amounts. Now, now ETH stands yeah. for Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency that's currently trading at about two thousand five hundred, two thousand six hundred. It's gone up to four. It's come down. It's kind of gone, gone places. But right. Ethereum is the is the cryptocurrency that's used for um, that, that's actually used for. Uh, um, uh, uh, NFTs. So tell us the actual dollar value of this board apes. Tell us the story of board apes and w- what that was. Oh my God. This hurts me because I was on clubhouse when 
they did a room about it and everyone bought it for $200. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. And, That's and how I, I got mine like an idiot. You didn't get one either, right? I did. You bought one? I was in the room with you. You bought a board ape? Yeah. It was like a thing. It was um what's uh what's our boy's name? Uh Jonathan Farouk? Farouk was talking about it and I was like, yo, we're supporting him. What? I didn't, was, I didn't know you had a board. I, I did that profile picture then. What are you doing? I did that. I did the Paris Hilton thing he did. Oh my god, I know wait, I wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. I'm totally lost here. So Board Ape was just like this is explain it to uh NFT dummy. Board Ape was a digital ape that somebody created and they go, Oh, we're going live with this. Is that what okay, happened? So so there I believe there's ten thousand of them. Mm -hmm. And they're just pictures of board apes with different traits. Yeah. Okay. Okay. People start buying them. The community around them gets stronger. Um, you know, they start doing room, uh, rooms and spaces on Twitter where, where everyone who has one starts changing their photo instead of a picture of themselves. You'll see this a lot on Twitter, especially they put a picture of, of the board ape or whatever other collection that they bought into that they're excited about. But board ape was so strong. Then you hear news about, uh, guy M &M or anyone uh, buying them. Oh, but that's not even before that. You, you heard celebrities one by one buying one then, or they were gifted them. So then we had Guy Osiri who represents Madonna, U2. Then he signs the collection. He's now he represents the collection. Then the, then the board apes go to an auction house, which is like, uh, like it's a big deal. So little by little incrementally, the value of the board ape started going up. I had a friend who bought a board ape at $3,000, sold it for $1.4 million. $1.4 million? He, he was a photographer who barely had money a year ago. He made so much money. Some people bought multiple apes. I mean, this changed people's lives, but that's the problem. It's like, Maz, when you were talking about cash grabs, a lot of these, a lot of people come into this ecosystem thinking, wow, people are, are spending Ethereum like it's pennies. Let me release a collection. They release a collection, they take the money, and after that, they just let it go. They're like, okay, I already made it, you know, a couple million dollars. I'm not gonna, you know, bother raising the floor price. What do I care? That's a cash grab. Yeah. So yeah. That, yeah I, now that you said that, no offense, but I'm about to do that. Listen, no. you remember <laughs> when I was like, I asked if they could make one look like me and they were like, no, there's only, at the time, I think there was only, I don't know how many are released now, but at the time they had this magical number like 3,333 or whatever. They were like talking about it. And I, and I still don't understand it fully. I'm not gonna lie. I listened to, uh, Maz, if you ever go on Clubhouse, Nicole leads these rooms with people like Farouk and uh, Jonathan and they leave these rooms on NFTs and they teach us about it. But at this time, Clubhouse was, it was early in Clubhouse and they were bringing it up and we were just honestly supporting each other. It wasn't because, you know, they would come in my comedy rooms and support me and send me money and we would help each other during the pandemic. So I'm going to have to look into that.
So wait a minute, Tehran, you're telling me you bought one of these uh, uh, board monkeys and someone just sold it for a million something. So what do you, what, what do you, now, what I, are you I don't, doing with your life? I don't know. I didn't know. I don't, I don't know what they're worth or what they are. I, I, I just have, I have it on my, on my, uh, uh, whatever Coinbase side. Wallet. Uh, my meta, what is it? Metamask? Wallet. Yeah. Oh. I, I don't have a lot of stuff. I have just enough stuff whenever we were going through stuff. So well, it's yeah, called MetaMass. It's called MetaMass. This, this is a perfect opportunity to let women know you own a board ape. This is a big, this is like yeah, but a Ferrari. I, I think it's really funny that you said, hey, change your profile picture. And I'm like, do I look like I'm changing my profile picture from something that's not me? That's not, <laughs> that's not the Tehran thing to do. Uh, but when it comes to NFTs, Nicole, I have a question for you. Is this something that's really just um something of the privileged like is this something like a new market for the privileged only is it like the chanel bag where it actually has no practicality and people are just creating a brand around things because one nft will be worth a million dollars and then another nft will be worth nothing well that's why i was saying that it's a status symbol but it's also it also gives people a sense of belonging i didn't understand what they meant by community. And to be honest with you, growing up, the word community wasn't sexy to me. It wasn't, I didn't feel good about community because I didn't really feel so good in my own community. I don't think a lot of people did. You know, when, when I saw the communities that were forming from the NFT space, first of all, it was really cool that on Twitter, you don't see a person's face. So you're not really able to judge them. All you see is a picture of an avatar of a collection that you recognize and you think, oh, wow, I know this collection. I have one of these. Let me go be friends with them. So you start following people in your own collection because you also want the floor price of your collection to go up in case you want to sell. Plus, you, you just want your community to be cool, the best community, whatever. So then I started going to the in-person conferences and the parties. And I was like, the energy here is really amazing. The way people get to know each other on a human level, because they're not there to judge if you're this or that status, this or that last name, you know, this, this success, they're, they're not there for that. They're really just curious about you. They want to win together. You know, there's, there's so many acronyms that, that we use in the NFT space. One of them is WAGME. It stands for we're all going to make it. And so there was this energy around NFTs that really got people to stay because they're like, oh, wow, these people want me to win. They want me to make money. They want to help me in my professional endeavors. I Sometimes I go into the, the rooms and I casually, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm looking to get married. I'm looking for a husband. I felt really weird. Say, like, I would never say that in my own community. For me, I was just like, oh, I'm fine. I, I just didn't want to, say, you know, you, you care so much about the way people think of you in regular society, but in the NFT space, because you didn't have an avatar that's you, you sort of feel more comfortable expressing yourself. It's this weird dynamic that I noticed. You know, you're reminding me a little bit because you grew up in LA, Persian Jewish community, correct? Yeah. I grew up in Northern California, a lot of like just American friends, handful of Persian friends, but I always, when my parents would go to Persian parties, I always felt like a foreigner in a way because I was this kid who's growing up with all these 
other American kids. And then I go to the Persian parties and they'd be playing like old school Persian music. And they just, I just, I felt like, oh, who are these FOBs? That's in my mind. I was judging oh my, my parents. Yeah, I was judging my parents and their friends. I was like, they don't get it. Like, they don't know who Eddie Murphy is. They don't know about baseball. They didn't know nothing. I was like, you know what I'm saying? And it wasn't until yeah. later in my life where I came through to appreciate that culture, like the Gugushes and the and the Ebbies and the, and the Andes and all these people. It wasn't until later in my life where I found out as Aslani, where I was like, oh, my God, these people are amazing artists and, and our culture is amazing. Um, but I will say to you, even to this day, when it comes to the Persian community itself, I always feel, I mean, for me, I'm happy because like you just said, listen, your ethnicity and your religion or whatever defines part of you. But there's another part of you. We all have it. Kids have this brain where they're going, oh, my God, I want to be part of, like you said, whatever that community is, an artistic community, uh, a, a sports community, LGBTQ community. There's a lot of other worlds where your family's trying to hold you to tradition and you're going, no, I want to be, I, I got, I felt a lot more in common with that person than I do with, with these people. Like even in my career, I'll tell you separate from my culture, I've had events where, and this was a, it was an American event. They had me performing for this, like these Americans that were in the oil business. Wow. So they were, it was a very high end event at the, I think it was the Pierre hotel it was a very fancy hotel in New York. I think it was Pierre. And I was getting ready to go perform for these people. And I was backstage backstage was the, cause when you perform in a hotel, a lot of times it's in a ballroom. So backstage was near the kitchen. And I swear to God, Nicole, I was in, I was waiting backstage by the kitchen, waiting to be introduced. And I was having more fun with the bus boys and the waiters practicing my Spanish, hola, como estas, you know, como te, como te llama, like whatever. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I was like, I was like, these are my people. And I was like, those aren't my people. And so similarly, what you're saying where you find this community and you're like, this is my community. For me, comedy has been that community. So when I go into the comedy world, there's guys that come from redneck backgrounds. There's guys who come from gang backgrounds. There's guys who come from you know, best that you, you, all of it. But when you see a fellow comedian, doesn't matter. Hey, what's up? Da, 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 da. So in a world, in a way, this NFT world that appreciates art, that is entrepreneurial, that it kind of, it kind of, I think, encompassed who you are, right? A little bit. Uh, I, that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it, actually. But what you're saying really right now really resonates with me because I feel like I get along better with comedians. Tehran knows this. Like when I started, you know, beyond the interview, that was my main focus. Like I wanted to connect with comedians. And the reason is, and this is why I feel connected to you and Tehran, because you're so honest and everything that you, everything that you say, even in your acts or, or off stage, it comes from evaluating your own life and recognizing the ironies and po pointing out the truths and laughing about it. And it's so rare to do that anywhere else because I feel like I feel like community-wise, especially with within the Persian community, people are trying to put on an act. I think they walked it, I I think they walk into rooms and instead of thinking, wow, these are my people they're thinking, okay, what can I do to impress these people? That's the first thought that crosses their mind is who do I need to be 
so that that person likes me, so that that person invites me to their next birthday, to their wedding, to whatever. And it's so crippling to me. And that's something that I really want to change. Um, and I feel like, you know, people like you do, do make everyone feel welcome. I mean, people come up to you after shows and stuff, and you're just this warm, happy guy, you know, no arrogance, no matter how much success you've, you've gotten to like, I, I, I noticed that. Well, let me say, first of all, amen to that. We have a word, uh, as you know, Aberu. Aberu for, you know, the non-Persian speakers, it's like, um, uh, 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 like a saving face almost. Like Aberu, like Aberu, Aberu Nabar, which is like, don't embarrass us. Yeah. So like your parents would say things like that to you. Like, as a matter of fact, I think that put some fear in me as a kid to stay away from drugs and getting in trouble because like, I felt like if... I felt like I was representing the Jobrani name. Like my dad would be like, you know, piss out of Jobrani. I said, you're Jobrani's son. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I think we're being judged, you know? So that was in my head. And it wasn't until later in life, like you said, when you look around, you're like, oh my God, my father who was like, don't embarrass us, was not perfect. You know, he embarrassed us. Or or any other, or, or, or like you just said, I love, like we had a family friend who had been somehow married to someone who was in the Shah's family. And I loved her because whenever she would come over and hang out, she'd be cussing in Persian like it's like like a sailor. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so free. And I love that. And Tehran knows to this day, sometimes when I'm on stage, I still feel like if I say a bad word, I feel like I'm being judged by the people who are my parents' age. And there's been times I make, I turn it into part of the show. Like there's been times where like, there'll be an older Persian gentleman sitting in the front row and I might cuss or say something about my balls or something. And then I turn to the guy, I go, I'm so sorry, oh, Mr. Fereduni, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. It's the joke. I had to. And I make that part of the thing and the poor guy's laughing. So I think I, I hear what you're saying. I think that there's a journey that we all take. And that's where I think that's why I um, was drawn to you when I first met you through Tehran at Clubhouse because of your journey and your wanting to be honest and um, tell the folks a little bit about how you got involved with Clubhouse. Cause, and, and also, where is Clubhouse now? Has Twitter basically gotten rid of Clubhouse? Like what's, what's going on? Club, and, and Spotify. Spotify has a green room or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Clubhouse was definitely the first in social audio that we've seen where people were like, wow, this is amazing. It's basically live podcasting. You can bring people up. I mean, our Nuru's room, we had literally 80, what was it, like 8,500 people from Iran, from uh, everywhere, all over the world. And then we had the biggest names in Iranian entertainment come together. It was, where else can you find that? I got to tell you real quickly, just so, and I, and I, I don't want to monopolize this, but that was amazing because for those people who don't know, Clubhouse, like in the middle of the pandemic, this, this app came up where it was almost like you're getting on a phone call, talking to a friend, and then everyone gets to listen in. And then when other friends come in, you can be like, oh my God, Tehran's here. Let's bring him up. And then you start talking to him. And then you can bring up random people that want to ask questions. And so Nicole, this was, what would it be? It would be Persian New Year, Noruz of... Yeah. Was it 2021 or 2020? 2021. No, 2021. Actually, oh I have a lot. A lot of people are still asking me if I'm going to do another one this year because it's coming up in like a week or two. That was so amazing. So Nicole had reached out to me and was like, we're doing this and we've got some people. And I said, okay, fine. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know what to expect because Nicole, you became a rock star in Clubhouse. All of a sudden, 
you were you were really good at hosting these rooms and keeping it going and it was you and Leah Lamar and Tehran was also right like you guys all you had know, the it reason going. I got on Clubhouse oh we he Tehran hesitated so much he's like I'm not I'm not gonna go get an iPhone to get a month a month and then finally on December 28th Nicole then um and Leah Lamar started from the morning you have to get on club you're getting on Clubhouse today 9 p.m. I met in a back alley during the pandemic and purchased an iPhone. Hilarious. An iPhone. I, I don't, I'm not an iPhone person. I like my Android. 10.05, I, uh, I get on Clubhouse with Nicole and Leah in a, room, in a room titled, What Women Want, Ask Us Anything. <laughs> a couple hours later, for, so just as an introduction, a couple hours later, they both sign out and I'll, I'm the moderator of this room called What <laughs> Ask women what they want. Ask us anything. And it went on for four months. It went on for four days. The only reason we stopped straight 24 hours a day, the only reason we stopped was because New Year's Eve. It was New Year's Eve and we had to end the room. Dude, Clubhouse was magical. And I yeah. can't, I, I'm hoping somebody does a documentary about what happened because like you said, Nicole and Leah brought you in. You brought me in. There was a couple of things. First of all, I did a comedy room, which you guys were, again, Nicole and Leah were doing. And I was like, how am I going to do stand-up comedy into a phone? It's like a phone conversation. But it became such a fun thing because all you would do is you would rant about, like, I, I had a career. I, did the, I had a Netflix special. Now I'm in a room talking into a phone and you guys are listening. And it was so much fun because it was a, it was a moment where we all needed community and talk about community. That brought us all together. And then to take us to this Persian New Year event, the Noruz event, Nicole gets in touch, says, yeah, I want to do this, that, the other. And I go, all right, whatever. And I remember, you know, th this was so March of 2021. There was moments where we would be out in public and, and doing things. So I remember specifically, I had to go to the park. I was at the park because my kids, I think, had tennis. So I had my dog. I was walking the dog and I was like, sure, Nicole, I'll do this. Because it's also, by the way, it's on your phone. You can walk and it's like a phone call. Yeah. You can walk and talk. So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... We started, and as you just said, there was like at any given moment, there was 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 people from around the world. I go, oh my God, this is the biggest audience like I've been in front of in years. And as you said, it was so beautiful because we were able to reach out to guys like Andy and Faramaz Asloni and all these great artists and like Kamyar and all these different people would come on and sing a song. Or And I was like, I was getting chilled. I was like, oh my God, this is like, and in my mind, I'm going, oh, could we ever create a live version of this? And But even if we did, there's no way any, everybody could come see it. So it was really a monumental thing. And I remember being on at least for two hours. Um, and I congratulate you for doing that. And uh, and now tell us, so you do a room with 8,000 people. Yeah. And now what's happened to Clubhouse and what are you doing now? So now I'm on Twitter spaces and I'm mostly, you know, it's mostly the NFT space because I'm going to be honest, that's where I make most of my money. <laughs> so, Good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I do really well in that space. Uh, but it, it made me, Clubhouse made me so aware of the power of community and the power of people going into a space where they, again, they don't feel judged because I, I felt, I felt the way you felt Maz, where I was like, I love this culture. I love the parties. I love the music. I mean, Maz, there's nothing better than a Persian party. I've I've been to to 
to after parties of like the Oscars and uh, the Golden Globes and stuff like that. It's cool, but it's not the same as a Persian party. The culture is unreal. So that part of it, I love. But in terms of how I feel as a human being sometimes, because I feel like other people aren't being themselves. They're who their parents are telling them to be. This is what worries me that, you know, I, I know so many people who are gay, but don't feel like they can come out. I know so many people who experience depression and anxiety and God forbid they talk about it because, oh my God, someone's going to think I'm Ravani. Like it's lit, which yeah. for white people means crazy off, whatever it means. But, but there's, there's an element of don't be yourself and go perform for these people so that they like us, so that they think our family is amazing so that they'll marry you so that they'll choose you. So they'll invite you to their party. So that's what it is. And that's the part that it's not necessarily, uh, you know, our fault. We don't know better. Our parents don't know better. But I think if you look at the consequences of this, they're so dire that we, it's something that needs to be addressed heavily. Like the fact, the fact, Maz, that, that someone who doesn't feel well, doesn't feel like they can tell, let's say they only have Persian friends. They don't feel like they can tell someone because this thing is you're supposed to be ashamed of it. It's supposed to be a secret. And so then who do you talk to? Who do you go to? Because you're, you're ashamed of this problem. And then, you know, I've, I, I obviously I would never reveal identities, but I visited friends who have attempted suicide, Persian wow. people in hospitals. And you should see the way their parents look at me like, like that, you don't know, tell anyone. I don't would tell never. Anyone. I would never. Some of these, you know, some of these people are married now, and no one would even guess that they were depressed ever. That's how good the act is. That people are going out. Another thing, divorce. Why is that so shameful to people? In American culture, it's not age. You turn. When I remember when I was approaching thirty, a lot of older women would be like, "Nagu behishki misha." Don't tell anyone you're turning 30. Yeah, as, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. as if as as if it's like, oh no, that's like the last age that you can get married in this community. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, we have to translate, Nicole, because most of our listeners aren't Persian at all. So that's oh, okay, okay. Translating. Yeah, just to give Yeah, you yeah. That. So and by the way, Nicole, I know exactly what because I just turned 30 and I don't want to tell anyone about it either. And <laughs> yeah, I'll be I told honest you, with don't you. tell anyone. <laughs> by the way, can we make any of these things NFTs? Yeah, a hundred percent. You're absolutely correct about the uh about the cultural norm. So is that what you mean by the NFT community? What do you mean? As in, do you feel more open and free in the NFT community because it's a lot different people, different backgrounds, different walks of lives coming together and yeah. feeling open? Yeah, yeah. And it's like people are able to talk about things like mental health and their background. And also so many people that were broke, broke, and then they made money because of NFTs and the way that they talk about it. You know, I I think I think my case is, is maybe a little different because... I, I come from a, a community that's extremely wealthy. So even saying that you, you're, you didn't have money or your family you know, wasn't this wealthy, it was shameful for a lot of people. But, but when, you, when I saw other communities, not just the NFT community, but that one especially, it was like a mark of honor to be like, I came from nothing and I made myself into this. It was a mark of honor. 
And so the way that people talked about it, the way that people were open about their struggles, it was like something I've never seen because I was always in a community where people were, pretty, were putting their best foot forward. Nicole, I think one of the things that we can do as individuals is, first of all, I had that light bulb moment in my mid-20s when I realized, oh, I can't live for what my parents want. I got to live for what I want because you live one life. So you got to do what you love. And I think that you now, um, having gone into this world of NFTs, but also as a, um, you, you would consider yourself, what, a, a journalist, a reporter? What, 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 what title would you give yourself in terms of interviewing people as well? I mean, I, I, I go with interviewer. Um, I go with community builder because I do a lot of IRL events. Oh, Tehran's been to one of them. Uh, What's IRL event? What's IRL? In real life. life. In real life. Oh. In real life. Whoa. Whoa. Blew IRL. my mind. <laughs> so, so for me, for example, I realized my passion was reading words, insights, perspectives. I love that. And I never got a chance to i mean I, I was always a journalist but i never really went after it the way that i wanted to until a couple years ago and uh and i started interviewing authors and researchers you saw a lot of that live on clubhouse that was me moving into that zone but i'm so passionate about it and i think the same way that that celebrities like uh kim kardashian and and you know people pay attention to like you know, the Biebers and the Selena Gomez and whoever's popular at the time, the same way those people have attention. I want to see authors have that kind of attention. I want to see investors have that kind of attention. I want to see, you know, community builders, business owners, you know, people like this, people like you, you know, you have significant insight and perspective because you've taken the time to reflect on your own life. You know, I think, I think you can have expertise in two ways. You either are are a researcher and and you know you're sitting there in a, in a lab doing research or you know you devote your time to a particular field you have field expertise or you you're an expert through experience. So for example, a drug addict who quit cold turkey one day, uh, went to therapy, started a family, is now raising kids, is 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 successful. That person has a lot more insight than the psychologist who evaluated them, I think. You can learn so much from someone like that. And that's who I try to put on a pedestal. And the events that I throw, again, Tehran, you've been to it. Like I have people Amazing. like Naval. Thank you. I have people like Naval Ravikant, who, you know, a lot of people know as as a very big investor. He was on the Joe Rogan show. You know, Joe, you know, Joe Rogan's a huge fan of him. A lot of people are a huge fan of him because he's like sort of this philosopher wise type who also, you know, teaches people that financial freedom is important and how to actually get there. And, you know, people like Chris Voss, I don't know if you've seen the masterclass or, or you have the book, Never Split the Difference. He teaches you how to negotiate, how to communicate. I mean, one, we're not learning these things in school and two, these are things that will help you dramatically in your life. So if we're paying attention to, to the Kim Kardashians, that's great. I'm entertained by the housewives and all those shows, but let's also pay attention to the smart people. Let's elevate them. Let's put our kids onto them and be like, this is cool. And I like, Nicole, that you break that down. You got the researcher who knows a lot of stuff. And that's really part of what this show was, Back to School with Maz Brani, to bring on those people who are experts, yourself, an expert in NFTs. 
other people who are experts in other fields. But you're right, there's the experiential person. And I, I, I feel I lean a lot more towards the experiential. Like when I wrote my book, it was about me. It wasn't about, oh, I've studied this subject. The subject was me. And so, and, I, and, and you're absolutely right, because I feel a lot more confident talking to people about, oh, find that moment when you realize you live for yourself and not for your parents. Get there. You know, I feel a lot more comfortable saying, you know, I even when I, I, I gave the commencement speech uh, at, at my uh, school, it was one of the things I said, I thought it was fun, but it was true. At Berkeley, I said, at Berkeley, by the way. Yeah, I said, I said, I said, I said, don't listen to your parents. I go, they don't know what's best for you. And I and I meant it because, yes, some parents are really good and supportive, but a lot of parents want what they think is best for you, which is, you know, get a good job, you know, pay your mortgage, have a family, whatever that is. But I said, find that thing, you know, find the passion. Um, the, and, and I was able to, because I had to, because I, just like you, were struggling with your community, going to these parties and going like, I love the culture, but everyone's putting on a mask. I had to constantly battle my parents about, hey, I found this thing I really want to do, acting in comedy. And them saying like, okay, just do that on the side. Go be a lawyer. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I should be a lawyer. And then a little bit later, I'm like, I don't want to be a lawyer. Maybe I'll be a professor. And they were like, don't be a professor. You should still be a lawyer. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a professor. But even that was a struggle. It was struggle, struggle, struggle till 26. I meet some comedians now, like your Dane Cooks, uh, your, you know, uh, Jay Moore's, other guys who said they started at 17. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to start at 17. But I was guided in a different direction. So that's one of the things I tell people. And by the way, I also try to live with no regrets because all the experiences I had from 17 to 26 also then um, dictate how and what I talk about on stage. But all that to say, I like how you break that down. And what I was getting at was when you, Nicole Behnam, do what you love, when Tehran does what he loves, when I do what I love, I think that's the best thing that we can do because unbeknownst to us, there is someone who's struggling with a parent or 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 themselves or whatever it is, uh, depression or their sexuality, whatever it is. And I think when they see people doing what they their true selves wants to do, I think that sometimes gives people hope that, oh, maybe I can I should do what you know, whatever it is that I want to do. And so I'm hoping that's what people get from it. And once in a while, I get people reaching out and going like, uh, you know, I, I saw you do this and that or say this and that. And it made me go, you know what? Life's too short. I'm going to go for it. And I go, thank I go. That's what I, that's what I've been trying to get people to do. Yeah. So when people see you do what you do, I just want you to know that you are helping people come out of that um, feeling of being enclosed. Thank you. And, and it, it was so important for me to find those people too, because you need that image of, of what you want to be to know that it's possible to go after it. Like, for example, um, my cousin Simon, I, I think you guys probably, you know each other, Orion. Uh-huh. The doctor. Okay. His wife is like a sister mentor to me. And she got married a little later. And when I was worried about that, she's like, oh my God, don't be ridiculous. And I see the life that she has compared because she's, she also, she works and she's also a really good mom. And I love her relationship with Simon. Like they're, they're equals there. I see the way that they are together. Um, she's just, she's so brilliant. And 
when I saw that that was possible, I got a lot more confident in what I wanted to do. And, you know, I started working harder and I started learning how to invest and, and all of these things that I always wanted to do. Whereas before I, I was more the type to listen to my parents and listen to society. Like there was really a point where it, my, my mom wanted me to be a pharmacist. Everyone around was like, this is a great idea. And then I, at one point, my dad told me, maybe you should be a paralegal. I mean, can you imagine someone like me working in an office for somebody else? I can never do that, you know? And so, so because I, I found the, you know, other women who were doing the things that I want to do and, and going beyond what society expected of them, it, it changed my entire life because it, it gave me a blueprint that it's possible. So I totally agree with you. And you do that for people. As well, I, I love hearing that. And even something like, like you said, like the, the, the age of marriage or even getting married. Why, why, why does everyone have, even have to get married? What if you don't, what if you don't want to get married? Like, you know, like you don't just get married because it's like, oh, time's running out. I got to get married. You get married because yeah. you find somebody and you go, oh, we should get married and have kids. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I definitely think, I definitely think, I don't think marriage is for everyone. I also think the type of relationship you want to have is very important. I knew I, there was an experience I had uh, where I actually did listen to the society around me. I was dating a guy that on paper was very good. I felt horrible when I was with him, but for the time, and I wasn't working that much at that age. I was around 26, but, and while I was dating him, I felt horrible. I was like, okay, everyone else thinks this is a good idea. Maybe it is. I questioned myself and in the end, uh, it didn't work out. And I realized, I realized I don't even want this guy. Why am I settling? Why was I even thinking of doing that? Like, I want to be with someone who I'm attracted to, who's my best friend, not someone that's the best option lives in this, this type of house. You know, I just, oh, I don't care about that. A hundred percent. Is he still single? Cause I'm available and I want to live in that <laughs> type of house. I want I the think, best option. I, I think he still is. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm going to hit him up. This poor guy, he keeps he keeps getting hooked up with girls that go, I, I why am I settling for this guy? He's the, yeah. the guy that settled for a guy. Like Listen, heard. Nicole, I could talk to you for days and days, and I hope we get you back and and, and talk to you more. Uh, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I'm going to go to the uh, speed round real quickly. This is called Back to School with Nicole Batnam. Quick school. questions, quick answers. Nicole, were you popular in high school? I would say I was an outcast and, and not popular necessarily in my high school, but, but well-known among other people in other high schools. Did you so, go to Beverly High? No, I went to Milken, but I had a lot of friends in Beverly Pally. You go, girl. Uh, what did you want to be when you were in high school? I think I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I didn't know I, I loved the community building aspect of it so much. I, but yeah, I knew it. What would you tell your high school self if you could tell yourself one thing? To find to find your people and not and not try to impress or befriend people that that you didn't like vibe with right off the bat. I love that. What other profession would you do if you could? If if I always think if I had if I had the voice, I would love to be a singer. Because if you think about it, it's a form of expression. You know, you write the lyrics, you write everything you feel, and then you sing it. And when you're on a stage, 
I cannot imagine the feeling. Have you seen one when, when the singers, like when Drake's up there and then- You know we do comedy, right? Okay, I just want to let you know. Okay, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. Comedy's a little different, but yeah, that, that's also, that's also, I could see that too. Tehran, I want you to sing your next set and see how it feels. That, yeah. I'm, Nicole, I'm, I'm like you. Anytime, anytime people ask me, they go, they go, what other profession would you do? I go, rock star or soccer player. Maz um, is actually a good singer. Maz is a good singer. When he does his karaoke on his Instagram, it's very, I'm it's not very bad. Fun. Not yeah, bad. Not, and last but not time. least, do you recommend people get into your profession and why? I do, and I recommend it even if you don't turn it into a profession. I think, I think curiosity is such a gift. I think the way that I've seen people argue as a result of politics is so, it's just energy sucking. It's not the way we should be living. Um, I think being curious, and I learned this from Chris Voss, who's a mentor of mine, it gets rid of your anger. When you're genuinely curious about something, you can't be mad at it. You know, uh, what, where did these beliefs come from? Who taught them to you? You know, in what ways, do you want to change? You know, pattern recognition is big. Try to look at patterns. Be curious, not just about things that are happening, but the patterns, because the patterns will tell you everything. You know, you sharpening your intuition, things like this. I think, I think interviewing your own parents is a huge, huge thing. You'll learn a lot just by getting to know your parents on a different level, why they are the way that they are. And you won't even be mad anymore. Isn't that crazy? You just mentioned something that I just found out from my mom. Because when we came, we, you know, because a lot of times we don't ask our parents things, right? And my wife was saying the same thing. She was like, I started talking, she started talking to her dad and learned a lot of stuff that she hadn't heard because, you know, we don't ask them these things. Our relationships are always like, hey, mom, hey, dad, whatever, move on. My mom told me when we first came from Iran to America, late 78, and we were supposed to stay for two weeks. We obviously that didn't happen because the revolution happened. But my mom said, "Yeah." She goes, "We were getting ready to, for you guys for us to go back to Iran, but my grandmother called and said, don't come back.' They just set the kids' school on fire. Like the mm -hmm. protesters went to the school and set on. I go, what? I didn't know our school had been set on fire. She goes, "Yeah." I go, "How did you not tell me that before?" She's like, "You never asked." And I'm like, "Okay." Oh, so interview your parents i love that um nicole you're amazing first of all before we get to the final section if anybody wants to follow nicole learn more more about nicole talk to nicole get educated on nfts get inspired you're on twitter at nicole behnam n-i-c-o-l-e b-e-h-n-a-m at nicole behnam on instagram at n-i-c-c-c-b I'll yeah. give you some advice, Nicole. Try to get all the same, get the same Handle name, like the handles. This is confusing, but N-I-C-C-C-B at Nicole, N-I-C-C-C-B. Um, Tehran, what did you learn on this episode? I learned that I need to check my cold storage hardware wallet because I might be a millionaire and didn't even know it. <laughs> I learned that the next time I see Tehran, I'm going to knock him over the head and take <laughs> his Take his crypto wallet. So that yeah, yeah, but that's the thing, Moz. Even if you take a crypto wallet, you don't have the private key, right? The private key number, which <laughs> that's the most thing. That's the one where like there are people that don't have their private keys and they've lost $500 million of yeah. crypto, even though they have it in their hand. 
And the problem is if you enter it wrong, which happens because it's like a very, it's like a 10 code key. It's extremely complicated. It's not something you can, you can't just be like Mazdrabani one. It has to be random. And if you don't put in a capital letter, you have 10 tries, it'll tell you, it'll be like, you have 10 tries, like it'll do like nine tries and then it'll wash it clean or whatever it does. So it does that. So if you have a cold storage uh, wallet, which is the best way to store all of your NFTs, your crypto, everything, because it's offline. Uh, and, and there was like a whole thing. I don't know if everyone remembers when there was a break in and a lot of these chains were attacked. But if you have that, keep that key. It's worth everything. It is worth you, everything. Wait, wait. Are you saying if I own any Ethereum or any Bitcoin, I need to put it into some other wallet? I can't just keep it on Coinbase? Well, here's the thing. It depends on how much you own, but it's safer. It is much safer off of off of it. So I don't know if you remember when Coinbase got attacked. Actually, I still might have a um, screenshot when I was a billionaire for, I was a billionaire Moz, for, for 12 hours because there was an attack. Or if, uh, if you had Niftway, uh, Niftway, uh, Nifty, Nifty Gateway also got attacked and there, there's, uh, there's all that. So it happens. You need to be careful. Hold on. Hold Next on. episode. Oh, Next episode. We're bringing back you, Nicole. Holy moly. $400 billion. <laughs> that, that was me. For, that was me for 12 hours right there. Boom. Hilarious. See what I mean? Oh my in my, in my wallet. So you have to, if you have, if you have different collectibles, you should keep them. Uh, Let's let arm. Nicole go. Nicole, uh, thank you so much. I could talk to you for days and days, and I'm going to hit you back again. So you got you got to promise you'll come back. We all love you. Nicole Betnam, thank you for being on Back to School with Majabrani. Back to school. Thank you for listening to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're having fun. And we hope you're learning something. So make sure to let your friends know. Share it on iTunes. Share the clips from YouTube. Just get it out there. However you're listening, let your friends know to tune in to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back to school. Yeah.